0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the Ultimate Catalog Club.
1: Sun beating down, burning my feet, just walking around. Hot sun making me sweat. Gade is getting close. He hasn't got me yet. Corey Morissette, I think I've tried stealing your Backtracks Aerosmith intro before, but, you know, it's probably been a while, so I thought I'd try it again. How did that work? I think it worked
0: pretty well, because that's a pretty good lyric. Uh, (laughs) From a pretty good album that we're talking about here uh, tonight, we continue our deep dive into We Can't Dance, the uh, last Phil Collins-era Genesis record. How did we do last week, Corey? What were our final scores on side A? Oh, we did of pretty well, outends. I know. Uh, yeah, my, my scores were, were pretty good. It was eight for music, uh, nine for lyrics, and four and a half for production. So that gives you, what, 21 and a half out of 25? A yeah. uh, pretty good score for side A for me. I think you were a tad bit higher.
1: A little bit, but I'm still smarting, Corey, from last week. I mean, oh yeah, sorry. You're, about that. we're not driving the last spike together. I think we're working at cross purposes on getting that railroad finish. But you know what? It is what it is. Kevin tell- tore a strip off me when we uh, got <laughs>
0: off the call, let me tell you. I, I'd never heard so much blue language.
1: We should tell people, though, Corey, quickly. We should recap what we do here. Um, we're going through Phil Collins' Zero Genesis album, song, uh, album by album, or side by side, I guess, really, and coming up with a, uh, a score out of 100 for each album to decide which is the best album in that artist's catalogue. Um, we assign 10 points for lyrics, 10 points for music, and five for production for each song. We average them out, and then we come up with that for this side of the album, um, to eventually come up with a combined score between the two of us out of 100 for that album. And once we have all the albums rated, um, we're going to have a special guest on to help us decide who gets to, dec- who gets to pick the next artist or band we're going to talk about on season two, in this case, of The Ultimate Catalog Clash.
0: Do you have that's any already been That's already been decided, because what we're doing is we decided we, we're each going to uh, put in a guess, what the final score on invisible touch was we saw we thought what is the the biggest album uh, of the catalog we're covering it's invisible touch obviously 1986 huge hit uh, for genesis so we each had to come up with a guess of what that final record grade was going to be and uh i believe the final grade came in at 88.5 percent. so if somebody whoever got closest to that gets to pick the band or artist for season two and uh i gotta tell you I I go back and forth. Some some days I'm 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 somewhat confident. Like I think I'm close enough. And then other days I'm like, no, there's no way. Kevin nailed this thing, and I'm way out to lunch.
1: And I'll tell you right off. The, I, I don't remember what I said. I mean, I emailed <laughs> Scott uh, late at night. I was like, ah, I'll just take a punt. I have no idea where I landed. I could have been at like 98. I could have been at 73. I don't, I don't <laughs> fucking know. I don't remember. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be as much of a surprise
0: to me as it is to you, Corey. So. Perfect. And like, I, I keep trying to get Scott to, uh, to tip, a, tip his hand, but he's a man of integrity, and it pisses me off because uh, I can't get a read on him at all. He won't, he
1: won't give me a hint, nothing. I mean, just I'm mean, an American, a Las Vegas based American who won't cheat. Like, what the hell is that? I know, and you know, a diehard Trump
0: supporter.
2: Uh, <laughs> 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 S- under the bus he Kevin... goes. Under the bus he goes.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Somewhere <laughs> Scott Haskett is throwing something against the wall and <laughs> cursing my name. <laughs> Okay, I can't well, wait we're... to get him on this show, actually, because he he's a fan, and he he reaches out every week to tell us. uh I, I know uh, he, he's not too happy with you about Snowbound. He loves that song.
1: <laughs> I think I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a caned on that one when we do the uh, album <laughs> rap, on I? Or the uh, season rap, on I? Yeah, I think so. But
0: fortunately, we don't have to listen to that song anymore. It, it's it's in the, <laughs> the rearview mirror. We have side B of We Can't Dance. And uh, we, we were talking this before we got on the call here, Kevin, and you said this is the first record that you kind of picked up as a huge Genesis fan back in 1991.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, so my experience, or sorry, my exposure to Genesis was my dad used to be in a lot of bands when I was growing up, and his drummer, uh, Cole Holcroft, who sadly isn't with us anymore, was a huge Genesis fan, and he'd made a, a mixtape, uh, uh, early Genesis songs mainly for my mum. And I think I told you this on um, Trick of the Tail, maybe I think that's what it's from about uh, Los Enos, right? So Los Endos, Los Enos, which on this tape. So I didn't know, I don't know what it was. So I kind of listened to that and listened to that and listened to that and listened to that. And then we got Invisible Touch, and I remember getting that album and listening to that and getting really into Genesis and thinking, okay, I'm a keyboard player. I'm this spotty little nerd, freak, weirdo at school who likes playing keyboards. So Tony Banks is right up my alley, right? He's my god, he's my hero. So. Q forward 1991 and now I'm in the army and this album comes out and it's okay well I'm going to obviously I'm going to pick this up because I like Genesis and I really latched onto it and there's certain songs as we you know again as we talked about offline the songs on this album that I latched onto are probably very different to the ones that you did and probably different to the ones that most people did not to say that I don't like the hits and the big pop singles but the stuff that I was interested in was the deep cuts so this album's got it's not quite the same as Invisible Touch because Invisible Touch resonates from that you know that's the song that or the album that really broke genesis for me this is the first album i remember being released after i was a fan and that's always special right you get the anticipation you get the build you get the first single back in the day before the album was released which was no, uh, no son of mine off this album so i've got such a you know a lot of memories about this album that it holds a special place in my heart cory
0: it does for me too but in a little different way uh, my first record that i got as a genesis fan was invisible touch so that's why that one kind of resonated with more, a little bit more. I'm a little bit older than Kevin, a little bit better looking too, but we don't tell him that because he gets upset. But uh, for me, I really grew an appreciation <laughs> of this record Uh, thanks to uh, Live the Way We Walk. Uh, I remember I was living in Regina, Saskatchewan, city of the Rams with fun, and there was a blockbuster video a couple of blocks away, and they had uh, Genesis Live the Way We Walk the the video, the video cassette. So I would rent that, and I, I wore that thing out like I took that thing out a lot. I love concerts uh, on on video, uh, and there was two that really kind of got me through. My college days when I was in the University of Regina, one was live the way we walk. And the other one was live Wembley 86 by a little band. I don't think you've ever heard of, but uh, they're called Queen. And
2: uh,
0: <laughs> it, I actually got that one from Blockbuster as well. So that's the album that really kind of garnered an appreciation for, for Weekend Nats. When it came out, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is good and all, but I kind of didn't pay it in low mind. And I went back to listening to For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge by Van Halen. But uh, <laughs> after watching that video, I went back and, and really gave this album another try because it's it's really special. You know, we didn't
1: talk last week, Corey, when we started talking about this album, the side air of this album. The tour that Genesis went on for this record was massive. They played some huge crowds. I mean, Visible Touch for the Invisible Touch album was big. I think the crowds, the average crowd on this one might have even been bigger. And they toured, you know, because Invisible Touch, they didn't do a lot of, well, they didn't do any Europe. They did, you know, mainly North America and England. Um, this one, they went everywhere and... My God, those concert performances from Nebworth, which I think is where most of um, the Longs and the Shorts, like, you know, Live the Way We Walk, I think most of those are taken from. It's this <laughs> you like it's this band at the absolute live peak of their powers, post-Gabriel, because even though you don't like the fox head and the dress, <laughs> uh, Genesis were a massive band with uh, Pete Gabriel. I think this was definitely, and it's weird too, right? Like most bands don't peak with their last record. I think they really did with this one as a live act because they were just locked in. The set list was just mint. The performances were fantastic. They knew who they were. They knew how to sort of, you know, perform on stage. And when you watch that show, like, same thing. Like, I've watched that show a million times, and it is ma- just magnificent. Like well, I tell you, I'm looking at the attendance on leg one alone just in
0: North America where I mean, they played, like, Texas Stadium, uh, the Astrodome, <laughs> uh, the Pontiac Silverdome, uh, you know, 71,000. Uh, 53,000 Philadelphia veteran stadium, 97,000 East <laughs> Rutherford, New Jersey giant stadium, 97,000, uh, Canada skydome 55,000, uh, a sellout there 55,000 for the skydome. Then they played uh Commonwealth stadium, BC place, two massive stadiums, uh, here in Canada. I think Commonwealth holds 65, uh, for football. <laughs> so you put another like 15 on the floor, you're, you're pushing 80,000 there. So yeah, a lot, a lot of big crowds, uh, on this tour. That's
1: for sure. And a lot of big crowds, but they still did a lot of the longs. You know, they're still playing "Home by the they Sea." They did all they're the still long, playing. like, look, like it's uh, yeah.
0: The, the third that. song is. Dri- uh, I'm looking at the sample set list. Uh, song three is "Driving the Last Spike," <laughs> covered that last week, ten minutes long. Then they did the old medley, which yeah. covered like "Dancing on a Volcano," "Lamb Lies Down," "Music Box," all that shit. Uh, then you got "Fading Lights," which is a fairly long one. Uh, "Home by the Sea," second "Home by the Sea" is in here. Domino's
1: in here, like they did all the good long ones. Yeah. Crazy. It's a sign of- It's the sign of a band with an identity, I think, that you could go out there and do just all the three, four-minute hits, and Genesis has enough of those to do a 25-song set, easy, rip them out, send everyone home happy, no one would complain, but they're still going to do those songs because they know that they're... We talked about this, I think, on the... I think it was on side B of Invisible Touch, right, about Domino, where it's this weird thing because it's a very proggy song in a way, but it's very poppy in another. And it's that sort of mix of those two things that they get away with because the Genesis and they're really bloody good at it. On this tour, it's like, well, we're just going to go nuts and people just go along with it. And yeah, man, dude, that that video, the way we walk live, holy shit, I've worn out probably two VHS cassettes watching that. And that was Wembley, wasn't it? Weren't they at Wembley for that one? I think, wasn't it Nebworth? They recorded that. It could have been Nebworth, yeah. I think it was Nebworth maybe, yeah. Because it was massive. Like, it was huge. Because it was, uh... oh, man, I don't know. I'll have to go back and watch it now. Because I think Visible Touch might have been Wembley. It was, yeah. And I think it's Nebworth then for, because Nebworth, like, Nebworth Field is massive. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But we're, uh, what you we're, talking about, we're talking about Side B. What song are we talking about yeah. first, Corey? Oh, we're talking
0: about uh, almost the, uh, the, the title cut uh, of We Can't Dance. Uh, played 215 times. This is I Can't Dance. <laughs>
2: Hot sun down.
0: If anything sums up Genesis for me, it's uh, Mike Rutherford going, oh, I'll go to Riff. And then, <laughs> like this cool, dirty uh, riff, right? And then, and Tony's like, well, fuck you. I got to put some nonsense sounds on it.
2: <laughs>
0: like, so it's. it's- but it, it it works. It it's somehow it works. Like everything you talk about musically with Genesis. Oh, you know, the 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 drums start on the two and everything else starts on the one and it should work, but it does. The yeah. the time signature and turn it on again, which nobody fucking knows. Somehow it works. <laughs> Here's another one you got Mike, hoo, 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 hoo. big like almost like a heavy metal riff. And then Tony's like, Oh, I just got this new fucking keyboard, I'm gonna play some little pink plugs. <laughs> tuk, 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 tuk. But somehow it fucking works.
1: And I Dig the holy hell out of it. Yeah, man. I mean, what I love too is I was listening to uh, Mike talking about this song and he said that he he'd kind of played this. And again, they're just jamming in the studio. Literally, they're just freeform and improvising. He played this riff and they kind of come back and say, oh, that, that's kind of cool. What 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 did you play there? He's like, I don't fucking know. Like, and he's trying to figure out what he plays. Because sometimes, and I know this, like I've done this lots of way as a musician, what you do is you play, and you record it on your phone, or you record it well, not back in those days. You record it, but then when sometimes you listen to it, you like, I don't know if I've played that. Is that like, am I doing a sus 2 or am I? I said, like, oh, fuck, I can't find. And Mike Rutherford said, like, it took him a while to find out exactly how he played it because it sounds really simple, right? right? It's mm-hmm. very deceptively simple, as all great riffs are. And it's very, uh- very, very, very heavy. It's very cool. I I found
0: a couple of cool quotes I want to uh, throw in here. First one's from Tony. Uh, He said, opposite to what Genesis has done as general practice, which is taking an idea and turning it into a longer complex composition. (laughs) This was just taking an idea and leaving it alone. Mm -hmm. And I just, I love that they did that. Like, you know what? And uh, uh, Phil said here, five minutes work. You know, that was our classic example of let's not do this anymore, let's just record this right now. And I remember Mike was doing a guitar part again, and I was writing the lyrics in the corner chair, and said, I'm finished!
1: And we went, and we did it. <laughs> Five minutes done. <laughs> and we'll get to the lyrics later, but you can tell that that's exactly how they were written. When you listen to them, because they're very organic, they're very sort of, I'd say maybe direct is a word to use, and they're, so there's all these vignettes and everything, but Yeah, I mean, it's just a very, very, very simple song. And I think that once we get to our ratings, I'm going to have to put a whole bunch of caveats on this.
0: Oh, boy. No, I'm a little nervous. We're going to see what Kevin comes up with. (laughs) Uh, I I was going to go right to the chorus. Did you have anything before then? Let's do it. A little steam going off in the background, but that's really what the song is about. It's not about a guy who can't dance. It's about Mimbos, uh, very pretty uh, idiot men uh, inspired by blue jean commercials uh, who are just, uh, they look good, but are as dumb as fuck and can't do anything. Can't string a sentence together, have no coordination, can't dance, but they look good. So you throw them in a commercial and that's kind of what
1: lyrically the song is about. It's, I mean, I'll, I can sum this into the, the, the content of this song, lyrically, I can sum up in one word, Corey. Kardashians. <laughs> they are a fucking waste of carbon, and this song it just points out that there's no point to any of these people. Um, so, circle against the square. That is the perfect analogy. We can just
0: leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> Next song, then. Let's just move on. <laughs> oh, no, there's more here, though. I, I, I have a great line coming up at 107. Do you mind if I play it? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Okay.
2: She's got a body. Under
0: that shit. Creepy old man alert.
1: <laughs> you pause it though at the crucial point, but all she wants to do is rub my face in the dirt. What does he sing live, Corey? Do you remember? Uh, is it dick in the dirt? No, he says the old... <laughs> <laughs> There's a callback, folks, to another podcast. That's right, yes. <laughs> I was hoping you'd pick up on that. He said the only thing she'll rub. Is my face yeah. in the dirt, which you think might have been the original line he wrote, and then thought, "Yeah, we're not going to get that on BBC Radio One; we'll have to change that." So,
0: <laughs> remember, this is around the time that uh, Tipper Gore was against oh, the record industry. You got to put, God. you know, uh, you know, stickers uh, on albums and stuff. So, yeah, got to play a little safe if you are Genesis here.
1: I mean, we've all seen. I am sure you've watched the shit out of the Senate hearings when you know. Uh, D. Snyder and eviscerated them and yeah. just just yeah, like it, it's like it's like watching Mike Tyson fight a toddler. You just think, oh yeah, dear God, just make it stop, you know. Everyone's like, oh, the Twisted Sister guy, this should be good, not knowing that D.
0: Snyder is actually pretty smart dude. Oh, it yeah. has a good way of words. Yeah. yeah, so it it was
1: perfect. I loved it. Oh, and uh, then and then they bring in Frank Zappa. Yeah. Do, do you know who this guy is? Like, I don't think you thought this <laughs> through. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Speaking about
0: perfect, I'm I'm just checking everything's in place here. I'm going to skip ahead to 133. Because you never know who's looking on.
2: on. That
1: digital piano sound that Tony's got there. You use a word a lot on your Aerosmith podcast that I think applies here. Is it stank? Because I was gonna say stank. It is stank. It's just sleazy as fuck. Yep.
0: One hundred percent. I was thinking I said as soon as Kevin shuts up, I'm gonna talk about stank. (laughs) And then again, you steal my thunder and you start talking about it before I get a chance to. I'm so
2: sorry. (laughs) Here's two podcasts. Two podcasts in
1: a row. I've been accused of talking too much. And both
0: times they're totally right. It's so weird. It's so rare when we get a song that we clash on, like we did last week. We're driving last spike, and here we are just back in lockstep again. It's kind of cool. Yeah.
2: The perfect body, you're the perfect baby.
0: So I don't know if you've seen the uh, the clip going around from the U.S. Uh, house of Representatives when the temporary house speaker uh, gaveled them into recess. Oh, he took the yeah. gavel and he smashed it uh, uh, on the lectern. That, that That's kind of that sound.
1: <laughs> what I love about that, though, too, is he almost missed. He was very, very, very close to missing. He was it.
0: very close, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I actually think oh. that this on this song, I'm pretty sure that's a, an electronic... I mean, obviously, you've got the percussions electronic, but I think the drums are too. Yeah, I think so. If it's not, which, it's incredibly processed, which sounds still sounds cool, but... Yeah. Uh Anything else on this one, Cap? Um, Yeah, no, I, like I said, the drums kick in here, and I, th- I think this is one of those ones I'm glad that you asked me that because we've had two stops or three maybe on this. There's not a lot to talk about in this song, so I've got nothing else for you in terms of stops. Okay. So we can just cut to the chase if we need to. Sounds good to me. Do you want to kick off? Sure. Um, And again, I'm going to give you my scores and try to, you know, manage my, um, not horror exactly, but
2: (laughs) okay. I'm going to give my scores. I'm
1: going to give my scores, and then I'm going to give you all my caveats on it. Okay. Music, music, six. Lyrics, eight. Production, three point five. Okay. Sounds like a low score. I'm putting this down with some of the songs that I've not rated as high. The song as a whole is a 9.5 out of 10 for me, but in terms of the individual parts of it, I mean musically, do 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 doom do That's the song. There's so little else. And there's a bit of a bridge, but there's not much in there. Um, the best parts are the little pops and bings and boings that Tony has, that that don't you that little That's thing the best be, part. The, yeah well it's interesting at least lyrically (laughs) phil's being playful and silly but they're very throwaway lines throw sorry throwaway lines and there's these sort of vignettes but there's no depth or cohesion to the lyric production wise there's nothing wrong with it and i love it but if again if we're being clinical it's very one note nothing really happens in this song the bridge is super brief um and you know like no son of mine it's a bit overlong. i think I think you could, again, trim this down by about 45 seconds to make a super punchy single. But again, it's a 9.5 as a song because it's fucking great. But if you're going to really analyze it and sort of pick apart the individual parts of it, uh, you know, where do you land with it? Well, all I'll say is sometimes there's beauty in
0: simplicity. You you talked about the riff in this one. What's the riff in Smoke on the Water? Da Da, 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 da. there's beauty and simplicity sometimes am i comparing this to smoke on the water fuck you yes i am i give it a nine nine and five (laughs) i love this song i love this song somehow it works and it can be simple and it could be trite and it could be stupid and it could still be fun and that's what i love about it because nothing about this should be good you're not going to put this up for a grammy even though i think i might have actually been nominated for one i, I have to go back and look because it was it was it was quite popular back in the day uh it actually uh, charted uh it received a grammy award nomination for best pop performance by a duo or group with vocals in 1993 so there you go it oh can be silly God. stupid fun and it could still in it, 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 it's it's great i love this fucking song and a six for music because it's simple Come on. The best parts are Tony's pops and kicks and doins. No, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> the best part is that riff. 100%. I, yeah, I did yeah, knock yeah. it because it does need better drums. The lyrics are a bit trite, but I don't care. I love this song. Nine, nine, and five.
1: Nine, nine, and five. Oh, wow. Yep. Okay. Better than production. Production. Really? Spike. Yes. What would you change? It sounds what do you perfect. Mean better than the last drive. Like, oh, my God. This is <laughs> that's it. Podcast over. <laughs> 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 it's a good thing you're a three-and-a-half-hour drive away my friend <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said though After all that like I give it a 683.5 and I will still say this is a 9.5 <laughs> nudging towards a 10 because it's it's the the whole is most definitely better than the sum of the parts and also It's jacked up by a fucking amazing video. That's true. Yeah, you know and live. It's really good, too Well, oh, this is what i would written down. Yeah, infinitely better live because it's yep. a production piece, then, and then they do the the walk, and they do the whole silly thing, and it's the crowd engagement bit. And man, like as a kid, especially as a sort of a teenage boy, of course you relate to you know young what's what's the line in the stupid fucking line? Blue jeans, sitting on the beach, her dog's talking to me. But okay, if you're giving for these <laughs> lyrics a fucking nine, Corey morissette her dog's talking right. to me, but she's out of reach. Hmm, she's got a body under that shirt, but all she wants to do is my face in the dirt. It's a, I mean this fuck it Of course it was written in one pass, sitting on the it, in the it, chair in the corner of the studio.
0: All right, motherfucker, in the David Lee Roth pantheon of great <laughs> lyrics,
1: that is worthy inclusion in the Hall of Fame. Oh, look, if we're comparing this against David Lee Roth, then that's a different thing, but we're comparing it with everything else that Genesis wrote. So
0: Well see, and it does not have to be all pretentious shit where they're talking down to you. It could just be a fun little
1: aside. Oh my lord! I'll tell you what though—it's—it's kind of funny though, because I was wondering if you would have more stop points in this, but it is very—it's verse, chorus. There's a bit of a bridge, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and it's like I said—I mean, this is on every single mixtape I've ever made of Genesis, on every playlist on my phone. Of course it is. I want to listen to it. I want to sing it. I love singing this song and trying to think: oh, do I try and hit that note, or do I try and go falsetto? I can dance, you know, I can do either sometimes on a good day. I'd listen to it every time. But critically, I just think it has some shortcomings, Corey. So.
0: i tell you, I've heard you sing a couple of times and I think your falsetto would uh, scare small children and animals, so please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. What's our Speaking next Speaking of which, let's move on to the next track. Never played live. Uh, originally, it was called BB Hit which stands for big, big hit, because that's what they thought this song would be. It's called Never a Time.
1: I'd written down never a time, never a performance. I thought it was quite witty. Oh. And you undercut me by just introducing the song, so, you know. Not witty at all.
0: No. You've done that to me so many times in the last two shows. uh, I'm not giving you the uh, the time of day. Edit that out. So this one's kind of a weird one structurally, right? Because there's not really a verse-chorus type structure. Yeah, there's not even really a verse-chorus. It's almost kind of like a stream of consciousness, just
1: whatever's coming through, right? Yeah, it's. I think that's the you know if you're going to be in the studio and jam, sometimes this comes out and it's a, it's a good melody musically, I think, but I think it's that thing where you've they've almost sort of forced it to think. ah, Let's try and write something in. So I was going to say to you, Corey, I mean, we're going to get into this maybe at the, the end of the album when we get to there, but I think that this album could have been trimmed. And I think if you're going to trim this album, I think this is one of the first songs that might go. And it amazes me that this releases a single. Yeah. So it was the third single, I think, right? Was it the third? Uh, fifth,
0: actually. Or fifth? Okay, oh, or sorry, sorry, no, fifth
1: track. Uh, it came after Jesus, He Knows Me. So yeah, it would have been the, uh, the third single, I believe. Yeah, so, I mean, and didn't chart in the UK, but chart 21 in the US is what I wrote down. Um, what I wrote down, and okay, I'll caveat this, and again, I'll preface this by saying I'm a huge Mike and the Mechanics fan, but it sounds more like a Mike and the Mechanics song than it does a Genesis song. And maybe it's that palm muted guitar thing that Mike's doing, which is actually, there's a few bits in this where it sounds super cool, but there's just, it doesn't quite necessarily fit on this album for me. What do, what, what do you think of that?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that to me, my main comment on this. I didn't have a lot of stops in this one, actually, because once you've heard the first little bit, you've heard the whole thing, uh, should have been more. What was my, was my main comment. Like they didn't elevate it like they did with the throwing it all away or in too deep or anything like that. Very stock kind of album filler, which kind of surprised me because like they were, they called it BB hit. This one should be a big, big hit off the album. It never, it never
1: elevated to that. It was always just kind of, always just kind of there. It's sort of one of those middling ballads that doesn't really have any interesting things in it. But, you know, I would say that, like, if we're going to skip to something, then the bridge is... There's a cool thing that they do in the bridge at 146. Well, it starts at 146. Because it builds, and it's probably the most engaging part of the song. Because, yeah, the verse, chorus, whatever we're calling it, eh, I don't really care all that much about it, you know? Yeah, and it doesn't start
0: at 146. I had it starting at 145. So that's where
2: we're going.
1: And it's that transition in the bridge where it goes from that sort of, again, suspended chords that Banksy does all that stuff, but they go to that big clean break into the major full chord. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And it's what's lacking in the rest of the song for me is there's no there's no dynamics in it. There's no difference in in tempo or volume, or it's just a bit, it's almost procedural. Is That's the word I would use. It's sort of Genesis kind of ballad paint by numbers. You know, because yep. many too many was is fucking amazing, and follow you, follow me is brilliant, and this mm-hmm. one's just a bit, eh? You know, uh, okay, it's all right, it's nothing bad about it, but I just don't really care about it, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I found a, a great quote from Nick Davis, who produced this record, uh, about the recording of this one. That that, and he has a great line at the very end that I think sums this up really well. But he says, and I quote: uh, "We were being filmed by a TV crew, who used to come in one day a week." Uh, they call them fly on the wall documentaries, but I've never seen a fly as big as a camera. Bill is probably used to performing in front of the camera, but I know Tony hates it because Tony hates everything. He's an old curmudgeon. I added that part. That wasn't from Nick Davis. Nick Davis goes on to say, we did the vocal for never a time one day while they were filming. And I think the song never recovered from that. The songs you think are really powerful at the beginning of the process are not always the ones which are strong by the
1: end. And to me, I think that summed up this track incredibly well that's super interesting i didn't i didn't read that i hadn't come across that when i was doing my uh, doing my research um and that yeah i can totally see that because I, like i said i think they <sighs> the bones of the idea of this song are solid but it almost okay let me, let me ask you this does it feel finished to you it, it feels finished it
0: doesn't feel like it was well thought out like this it, it almost feels like one of those five minuters right like If they would have spent more time on it, I think they could have developed it into something that was greater than some of its parts where this one doesn't kind of reach to me. It's just above average. Like, it's not a bad song. It's a very pleasant melody. It's sung very well. I think Phil's great on this. I love Mike's guitars on this. Keyboards are quite nice. There's really nothing bad about it. It's just not elevated like
1: Follow You, Follow Me or any of those songs. I also think that, you know, again, we're going to talk about Mark Rutherford lyrically different points of this album it's just a bit of a mike rutherford lyric and you think yeah. oh my god it's just a bit middling and like when he's doing ballads when he's doing big epic or trying to do big epic things i think he's better but i don't think mike rutherford's very good at writing ballads generally in terms of lyrics and it's just this feels like a mike rutherford song almost top to bottom you know what i mean mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just. A bit, I, I, I think
0: I, li- good. I like Mike lyrics a little bit better than you, especially yeah, on ballads. So I'll, I'll give him a little bit of a break, and I, I think that's reflective in my score. Unless you had another uh, timestamp to jump to, I think we pretty much heard everything on this one.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're like again. I mean, I am I was kind of surprised because I was thinking, oh, my, I did my uh, my notes for this, and I thought, well, I've really fucking written much for these two songs. I this might be a <laughs> short episode here, but that's all right. If you don't have much to go to, let let's just get to the cut to the chase, Corey. All right, uh, I, I I still like the song. I'm going to start on this one. You
0: start on the last one. Don't cut me off, you bastard. Uh, I gave it seven, seven, and four. You know what? Musically, I think it's fine. Lyrically, I think it's fine. Production-wise, I think it's fine. I don't think it's too long. It's 351. Um, structurally, like I said, there's really no verse chorus structure. Uh, it's kind of a stream of conscious. Although we have the all I know is what is true that kind of whatever you want to call it a bridge. Yeah. Or yeah, that that's, that takes a little different direction, but then we go back into the same old thing. Uh, I didn't hate it. Uh, it's certainly not my lowest-rated uh, track on the record, but it's certainly nothing special. So, uh, to me, that's and I, I, I maybe come off a lot harder than I mean to on some of these songs because I still graded it pretty high. Seven seven four is a pretty decent score because it's a pretty decent
1: track. It's just nothing special. How about you? <sighs> yeah, I'm not as high as you, Corey. I mean, I'm well five five and four. Okay, because I mean, apart from those sort of muted guitar parts that might play. And there's actually some really good muted guitar on this song, but there's not much that really excites me musically on this song. It's a bit pedestrian. It's very simple. I mean, there's nothing wrong with simplicity, as we like have established, but it's just a bit average for Genesis, you know? Let other bands do average, and I want Genesis to take me somewhere. And again, like I said, had the album been paired down to one disc, which would have been difficult because there's some very good long songs on this album, but this would have been one of the first cuts, I think, for me, for sure. Lyrically, I was thinking about this a little bit, and because re- I, you tend to look at lyrics and dissect them very well. I think sometimes I'm trying to play catch with that because I focus more on, you know, musical structure and the, the stuff that I'm more comfortable with. But it's almost like a very confused lyric to me because it's half about the state of the world, and there's more that from Mike later in this album about that, and it's half about a broken relationship, and it sort of lands in that. <laughs> place where it's not one thing or the other and I think it sort of suffers from that and loses a bit of punch from it production wise again Manta four because it all sounds fantastic it doesn't sound it doesn't overstate its welcome it's pretty short it gets in and out quickly sonically amazing but again the bridge just doesn't do it's the same speed doesn't really change key doesn't do anything so it's just a it's just I't know a, a decent Album track that I don't skip, or I wouldn't, it doesn't, I don't hate it, but I just don't really care about it. And I think that's maybe, maybe that is the worst thing you can say about a song. You know, I don't really love it or curious, hate it.
0: Th- there's a, a track coming up on Side C
1: that okay. I'm really curious to get your take on.
0: Also, a single called Hold on My Heart. It'll be okay. interesting to compare this one to that one when we get yeah. to that. But, um, uh, never time, never performed, like you said. Uh, also, uh, I've got a correction. Uh, we're talking about, uh, The way we walk uh, live in concert was
1: actually recorded at Earl's Court in London. Oh, okay. Oh, mate, I saw Pink Floyd there on the uh, Division Bell tour. Oh, wow. Talk about a venue to see a musical performance at. Holy, we got to do. Maybe we'd have to. We well, Floyd would have to split up somehow. Fuck. Let's not even go there. Let's not even get into it. (laughs) (laughs) We got a long, long way to go before we get there.
0: Uh, hey, that's, a good, th- that's there's, there's a good Phil Collins reference. <laughs> there you go. I-, I was referencing Def Leppard, actually. Long, long way to go. From their album X. Damn or, you, which... Corey Morissette! Coming up season two, Ultimate Catalog Clash, <laughs> Def Leppard. Every album.
1: Let's do the live records, too, why not? Hey, look, <laughs> if you're fine with me, I mean, swearing like a... ...fucking trucker for 97 hours, I'm on board. I haven't been opposed to it yet i don't
0: know why it would be then so uh let's see what your thoughts on this next one it's the last song on side b uh this is uh it was performed 32 times it's called dreaming while you sleep Swear to God, I um, it's like I'm watching like 48 hours, like I'm watching an 80s uh, darker edged uh, comedy, like buddy cop comedy movie, is, is what I'm getting from
1: this, and I'm I'm, I'm already bored to tears. Oh no! <laughs> 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 I love the marimba thing that Tony's doing. Like it's that. Okay, so do you? I, I don't know how much you've listened to Pete Gabriel. Do you also to not to not not, not a ton? Okay. not a ton. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's an it's 100. This is a nod back to Pete Gabriel that they're doing. It's got that kind of, um, I'd say, Soul era, maybe the album before, Pete Gabriel 4. It's got a very sort of uh, Afro kind of world music vibe just because of the marimbas, which Genesis up to this point have never used on a, mm-hmm. on a song. And again, it's that percussive thing that there's tons of this on this album, right? We're going to get into this on lots of songs where Tony's playing or sequencing a shit ton of sounds and noises on keyboards man i just, kind of, like i think this intro is dreaming while you sleep is the title of the song it's a very very dark lyric i think probably the darkest lyric that Mike rutherford ever wrote i think it sets the scene very well corey you're bored Ooh. to tears i'm gripped i'm on the edge of my seat <laughs>
2: <laughs> In in and out of sleep, trying to keep my hands the never saw the in the I never saw step into the
1: So you get that setup where there's obviously a tragedy is gonna happen and we've got this darkness through the song tonally and everything else, but you don't know where the song is going yet. Because this just could be a tragedy that, oh my God, what have I done? Sort of thing. We don't know where it's going yet. And as, you know, as a resident of Saskatchewan, we have a, a leader who, you know, drove into someone in his youth and drove away. So you think, well, maybe maybe he won't do that. Maybe this guy will actually stop and help this person who's just hit. I think tonally, again, it, Rutherford just gets it right, man. Like, You know, when you get this piece of music that they've written in the studio and improvised, what else are you going to do? You're not going to write a song about fucking sunshine and daisies. There's got to be some deep shit, and Mike plums the depths here. He does, and
0: I think thematically this works better than driving the last spike, because, like, the music is ominous, the lyric is ominous. The only problem is I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) and it's, It's very... And a lot of it actually has to go back to my personal life because hit and runs in this province, Kevin, as you well know, yeah. a huge problem, huge yeah. pro- drinking and driving is a colossal problem here. Uh, I've lost people to hit and runs. Uh, I've known people who have, you know, hit families, uh, drunk out of their mind, driving home from a bush yeah. party. Uh, so to me, this is just a horribly unpleasant uh, lyric and song because of that. Now, that's just my own experience that I'm su- you know superimposing over top of here. Uh, but, you know, I can't take my personal experience out of listening to the song either. Uh, it's, it's just a very unpleasant uh, thing to think about is mowing somebody over in the street and yeah. then just continuing on with your day.
1: That's really interesting because, okay, so do you think this song is apologetic to the driver? No. It doesn't okay. seem apologetic to the driver.
0: He seems remorseful at the end when he's saying, "All my life I'll be haunted," yeah, and, and all that stuff. But I, I don't get apologetic to the driver at all. Maybe that's part okay. of what really kind of upset me.
1: Okay, yeah, because to me it's sort of okay. No, that yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I again, like I, I hadn't <laughs> I hadn't thought of it from that standpoint. To me, it was always this guy is okay. Well, I mean, again. Take a situation in Saskatchewan that happened a few years ago, the Humboldt Broncos, mm-hmm. the driver of the the semi truck that hit the, the bus. I, I mean, it was an accident. didn't mean to do it, he wasn't drunk, he wasn't distracted, it just it happened. It was an awful thing, and this guy's life has been ruined by it. And that's sort of where I think the songs the point of view that the song's written from so i don't have that i don't have that triggering maybe i don't have that triggering thing where i'm sort of thinking of it from that context and again it just shows you right i mean your your lived experience um changes the lens that you filter all art through including music and and there's one verse
0: in particular that really kind of pissed me off where he says i heard it on the radio saw it on tv but i could take my secret to the grave if i had another chance would i do the same yeah. So he hasn't learned anything like, geez, you know, if I kill another person or mow over another person in the street, would, 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 I, would I keep driving? Like, you should learn something at this point in, the, in, the, in this experience that you wouldn't do that again. How awful it is to leave somebody laying there in the street because the person doesn't die. They're in there in a coma and they're yeah. going to be in a coma for the rest of her life is kind of what I gathered, uh, which is just as bad, right? Yeah. He talks about, you know, till the day that you open your eyes, please open your eyes. Yeah. He's thinking more selfishly and where you should be more empathetic to the life you just destroyed.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Again, I mean you you give him perspectives that I haven't considered before, but like would I do the same? If I had another chance, would I do the same? To me, that was always about that self doubt about, you know, like it's okay, so fight or flight, right? So, you know, if you're in the army, I had this question lots, but like if, if would you throw yourself on a grenade to save your platoon? I don't know. I don't know if I would have done that. I mean, I'd like to think I would, but I don't know because I was never in that situation. So that's that little trigger, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's I don't know. That it's, this is going to be more challenging for me to listen, for me to, listen to now, Corey, because I hadn't really considered that, and I also weirdly hadn't sort of considered dreaming while you sleep is about someone being in a coma, which yeah, fuck me, of course it is, Jesus Christ,
0: yeah. But like, even uh, you know, it's so uh, I will never be free all my life. Who gives a fuck? Like, think about the other person. Yeah. Like, st- stop being so selfish in, in this moment. Like, I will never be free. They will never be free. They're 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 in a coma. Yeah. You just mowed them down the street. They were just minding their own business, walking across the street. And you were whatever, didn't see them coming, and mowed him right over, and kept on driving. That's the worst thing. Accidents happen. But, yeah. like, stop. Check on the person. Stay with them until the ambulance gets there. Maybe something could have been done in that time to help this person. And that's... I, I have a lot of paramedic friends, and uh, yeah, th- they have... New like just, un, just so many horror stories about, about things like this. So it really, really kind of hit close to home for me. And uh, I just think this guy's an asshole. I didn't think the song was very pleasant,
1: and uh, uh, I don't really enjoy listening to it, to be honest with you. But okay, so this this gets into an int- I think an interesting area for me at least. Can art observe neutral of emotion? And what I mean by that is okay. Let's take a movie like I think you talked about earlier, like Schindler's List. It's a very difficult topic the holocaust generally I mean I I remember watching sob, uh, uh, like a TV show or TV movie sorry called Sobibor about the concentration camps which is an astonishingly powerful brilliant piece of work about a an awful topic where there's, there is no glory there's no um there's no win in the end for anyone but it's a sort of a piece about you know this is What people go through when they deal with trauma and they deal with, you know, that kind of conflict in their life, can you do that? And can you sort of make a, okay, in this case, can you make a song that stands apart from the content? Or do you think that in some cases, which it sounds like with you, Corey, that no matter how good the music would be, like let's say this was the best piece of music ever written or the best lyric ever written, the content of it outweighs any sort of artistic merit.
2: Yeah,
0: see, I think from my perspective, uh, this isn't a documentary, so you're free to kind of take this narrative wherever you want to go. And I'm not opposed to, you know, tragedy and upsetting things. There, There should be an underlying of, you know, something good coming out of it. Like maybe he realizes something about what he did. And he's more thinking about the life he ended even at the end of the song he's like all my life in a world so unfair only i know why and it will live inside of me like fucking stop thinking about yourself for two minutes it's because i just deeply hate this character and it's okay to deeply hate a character yeah. but you should at least kind of understand him i don't understand this viewpoint if i hit somebody with my car i and i know the, the grenade question for you is an impossible question and i'm yeah, sorry yeah. you had to get asked that question because you don't know you like i'd like to think so I I like to think I know that if I hit somebody, I would stop because I know what the ramifications are. If I don't like everyone's done bad things, everybody's done, you know, shit like this. But the the fact that he takes off and doesn't think and all of his thoughts afterwards are about himself. That's what makes this kind of a despicable narrative for me. If he had come to some sort of realization and, you know, you know, some sort of personal growth, like even the bus driver, the humble Broncos right. He's extremely apologetic and he's yeah. taking steps. Like he's not shying away from the responsibility. He knows what happened. And, but you know, he's trying to make something out of his life and he's not, he's taking full responsibility. I don't know if this guy is in the song. And and, and that's one of the things that that really gets to me. Had he kind of, yeah. you know, completed a little bit of a character arc, I, I think I would have been fine with it. Musically, it fits very, very well with this very dark, uh, somber tone. Like it fits, it fits very well. It's just not um a a song or a narrative that i was particularly fond of is all Uh, that's
1: yeah that's no man i don't know what to say like i i don't i've not considered that side of this before and again i I didn't even think about that when i was listening to it for this episode because all i'm looking at is you know does it tell a story is it structurally interesting are there different parts is it sonically cool is it produced well i don't know whether i stepped back and took that you know Fifty-yard view or a hundred-mile view of saying, "What's this song actually saying?" Contemporaneously, in some sort of social context. So, bloody hell, I'm gonna feel. I'm, you know, I'm gonna feel really fucking bad about my rating now. Is what I'm saying. I think <laughs> probably
2: <laughs>
1: nine, nine five. It's a great song, but we should uh, let's let's play. Like, I mean, skip back to I mean one fourteen, but play a bit because musically, we should we should talk about you know the music and the, and the parts of it because. Absolutely. In this first chorus, there's a brilliant little thing that they do with the vocal here, which we should listen okay. through and then talk about a little bit. You bet. When you listen to that under headphones, and I encourage everyone listening to this podcast, when we talk about these songs, please listen to them under head- headphones because you get so much better an experience. The panning on this, like I said, the production on this is superb because I think I'd written down at first when I listened to it, I thought it's double-tracked for sure. So Phil's singing the same line through twice. He's singing the lead. It's not harmony, but he's singing the same line through. I actually think it's tripled because you get one part in the middle, one part left, one part right. And when you listen really closely, it's definitely three different takes. And that, that sort of sense of width that you get in there changes the dynamic of the song because in the chorus uh, sorry in the verse you've got that progression and whatever and and then he sings the straight lead when it comes to this part you get that dynamic shift and that's again just a brilliant bit of uh, a bit of composition and songwriting so good
0: it's hard to pick up on that too if you're not listening on headphones because yeah, you, you don't hear the, it. The, the those three takes are so close together yeah that it really takes a lot of nuance to, to hear it about all your life you're going to be laying in a bed like a vegetable because I hit you with my car and left that's it's all by oh woe is me it's that whole refrain that really
1: really makes me not like this guy yeah and I mean okay so again we go back to this and I I think I've got a couple things to say about where we came in here but can you tell a story about a very dislikable or awful person and still tell that story well. I would go to. I always my default with this is always American History X, because Edward Norton's character in that is, I mean, certainly in the first sort of half of the movie, just probably one of the worst people who's ever lived. Right? He's a racist and a and a violent racist at that and a Nazi. But I think you don't criticize the movie because of the character, because the the narrative of it and the way it's written is is very good. Can, maybe okay. So I'm gonna. We we were talking about this, me and you and John Mariano. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what movie it was. or No, what song it was. We were talking about, oh, shit, what song was it now? I was asking whether you could sort of define character in a song the same way you could in a movie. And John's argument was that when you have an hour and a half of a movie to develop character and sort of explain origin and context... It's more. It's easier to do that in a than in a sort of a three or four minute song. That's right. And, and, we, kinda, and I think we he's have right. no background. Yeah, yeah. Because we have no background, we have no context,
0: we have no yeah. nothing, and we have no character arc. Like, yeah. so th- this guy is is shitty from the beginning of the song to the end of the song. His arc yeah. is a flat line, and and that isn't compelling storytelling. You can have despicable characters, but there's some there's some nuance or there's some gravitas to him, right? That yeah is going to inform the choices they make. We're robbed of that because this is a seven-minute song
1: as opposed to a two-hour movie. You're exactly right, and John was exactly yeah. right. But I would say that where we split there at the two forty-six mark, when the drums come in, I mean it's just a straight lift from "In the Air Tonight." Oh yeah, yeah. Ba ba ba, pom ba da da. You know, which is great. I mean, if you're going to bastardize anyone, bastardize yourself, and the drums sound different because they're treated completely differently, and it works too, right? Like. Don't do it for the sake of doing it, and don't do it as a callback unnecessarily. And by this point, like in the air tonight, it's what eighty three. What's when did I? Come like that, yeah, eighty one, eighty three, somewhere in there. So this is ninety one. So it's enough removed, I think. Um, but uh, it's the right thing to do in the song. Yeah, well, I'm just looking. In
0: the air tonight came out in 1981. Yep. So oh wow,
1: ten years before. So ten years before. Yeah. So used to things that work and it's not exact it's not a facsimile it's not carbon copy so he's doing something slightly different but again i think it comes in at the right place like we're at what 246 out of seven ish minutes 717 yeah. so we've got that bit of that push now we've got a bit of a push into the next section of the song anyway It's a good transition that, you know, like I said, I mean, let's put the the content aside and just talk about structurally, musically, you know, vocally. That's a very, very good transition from up there into down Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, it really is. So we can call this a guitar solo, I think,
0: right? I guess maybe, technically. It's pretty low in the mix. Uh, it, it's a
1: Tony solo now featuring Mike. And I kind of put that in production too that I don't think that's as up as it should be. But what I like about that is he comes off the one again. Like it's that, it's just a little thing and he's not playing straight on the one, two, three, four. He's he's coming off and he's syncopating a little bit and he's doing that bluesy kind of bend in the, in the, in the first instance. But then he's doing the choppy kind of, Sicato thing so it's just a, i don't know i think that's a very cool thing i think it's a very cool little uh, lick that mark's playing there i wish it was a little higher in the mix though yeah i, 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 mean, I, I kind of want 100%. that to be the star yeah yeah definitely Production-wise, that is fucking amazing because you've got Mm -hmm. that super flat kind of, you know, the reverb thing that Phil Collins was known for and Genesis can end up being known for on the drums. And then you've got this like super, super dry reverb on the vocal with a ton of phase comes in. And you get this weird sort of, it's, it's like a nasty ethereal kind of paranormal thing almost. I just think that's so cool. And again, it's that thing that, you know, you can do that. Uh, every part of the, you can do every chorus or you can leave it for one or you could put put it in the middle, you can do whatever. But I think leaving it till the end and just changing that up just takes, it carries the song a little bit. It makes it more interesting because the song, again, you know, we're at what now? 5.16 of a 7 minute 17 song. The song's kind of over at this point. You could finish this here and I think probably maybe, again, they could have done that. But that little single thing I think that they do, production-wise, it's just very intelligent. And that's why we, when you are,
0: are more music oriented like yourself, uh, you appreciate a lot more about a song like this, whereas I'm looking more thematically at it. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. he's got this this anger uh, in that vocal. He's almost like angry at her. Like, how dare you ruin yeah. my life? And I fucking hate that. I hate that so yeah. much. All right, uh, so if you're good on this one, I'm good on this one. Uh, Kevin Brown, what did you rate Dreaming While You sleep.
2: Oh,
1: fuck, I don't even want to say because I think I just this might be the end of our friendship, Corey. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, we're good. We're good. It's all right. Yeah. I, I mean, again, so music eight, lyrics nine, production four. So, and I will caveat the fuck out of this before you <laughs> tell me why I'm wrong. Um, I'm not going to tell you mus- you're wrong. <laughs> musically, it's very atmospheric. It's got this really seething tone to it that I think, I think actually, I think I like it more now that you've sort of said... Or told me what you think about the song. It's not massively adventurous, I'll say that, but I think it's better when it's paired with that specific lyric. Um, it's very Gabriel esque. That intro, especially, is so that does marimbas. It's just like so Pete Gabriel. Um, I think it's one of, I'm not saying Mike's best lyrics because it's very challenging, but I think he nails it. Um, it's so dark and, you know, like, it's very visual, it's very cinematic. You know, you see the bend in the road. You see the guy on his phone or or just, I don't know, fucking arguing with his wife, whatever it is. And you, you see that collision, right? You just see it in your mind's eye. And for you, that's traumatic, more so than it is for me, which maybe that, says, that speaks poorly of me. Um, But I just think that's very, in terms of songwriting, just purely in terms of songwriting and not content, I think it's very cool. Production, I think, could have been shaved down, like I said. Um, Get this down to sort of, 6 minutes, 6.15, I think it's a tighter song. I don't hate it. 8, 9, and 4 for me. But again, I'm I'm definitely going to go away and think about the things that you sort of brought up on this song and see if that affects the way I listen to this now because, like I said, I'd never really considered that side of it. I I got sucked into, I love the music of this song and I think the, the lyric narrative works with it. What I hadn't considered is the emotional impact of the victims of people who've been through similar things. And I hope that that doesn't ruin this song for me. It might. And I'll be okay with that because I think that sometimes you should take real life and have it impact how you appreciate art. Richard Pryor, you know, mm-hmm. um, fucking stupid face, Louis CK. There's certain people in like Robert Plant and Gary Glitter. I th- think the space in our, in our, in our, Appreciation music that we can do that, but for me, I, I this is what I wrote down before we did the episode. The things that you said to me have had an impact, but that's where I am with it. Eight, nine, and four. All good. Uh, I love that you refer
0: to Louis C.K. as a fucking stupid face. Uh, can we just call him that from now on? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Stupid, All right. wank,
0: well,
1: stupid, wanky, stupid face. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Uh, please don't come at me with the pitchforks. I was lower than you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Musically, musically, I gave it a four. I, I find the song very unpleasant to listen to melodically. Yeah. Obviously, it, it, it fits the mood of the song. I'm just not a fan of that. Uh, it's also uh, way too repetitive. Uh, there are cool moments. I love the big drums when they come in. I love that transition that you had pointed out. Like there's little things in there that to me elevated to a four. Uh, but uh, <laughs> musically, obviously, obviously it's performed very well because uh, this song is is very flat thematically. We kind of start and end at the same spot with this guy. That, you know, there there was an opportunity uh, and and not everything has to have a redeemable character. And this guy doesn't need to be redeemed, but I think he needs to learn something. At, at a certain course of the song and he never does uh and the music doesn't help illustrate that so i gave it a four lyrically i gave it a four uh, i have a lot of problem with the lyrics of this obviously they, they they tell the story like you said you could close your eyes you could see what's happening it's not pleasant and i don't like reliving that by listening to this song so yeah. uh you know it, it's elevated to a four because they tell the story they're trying to tell well enough it's just not a good story it's you know again you, you could put in something in here that doesn't even have to redeem the guy, just at least make it a, a life lesson that, you know, yeah. something that's just different than him victim blaming. And, and I know, I, I don't know if that's the intention. That's what I took away from it. And a lot of these, uh, you know, it's very much uh, in the self all my life. Oh me. Oh, in a world so unfair. Only I know lives inside me, 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 me. Fuck right. you, 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 you should be thinking more about the life you destroyed. I get it. Yours is too. You can come back from that though. And people have, they've you know re- rebuilt uh, lives after horrific tragedies uh she's never gonna or the woman's never gonna get an opportunity to do that because her eyes are closed forever uh production 2.5 uh just right down the middle for me it sounds fine it's way too long is way too long. Like you mentioned, five, whatever we were at, the song is technically over. The song is definitely over. And you could even, I think, cut, you know, maybe another 40 seconds out of that even. Uh, You know, 4.30 to 5, I think, is kind of the sweet spot for this one, Um, especially because nothing happens. Like, he hits her, he goes home, he sees it on TV, feels bad for himself, uh, visits her in the hospital, and feels bad for himself, and that's it. You don't need seven minutes to tell that story. I think it goes on a little way too long. So uh, four, four, two and a half,
1: me. Man, I'd love to sit here and come up with some sort of pithy or witty comeback, but when you've articulated yourself as well as you have, Corey, I'm just going to say, well, thanks for giving me a different... I mean, generally, thanks for giving me a different perspective on this because I don't think I'd ever necessarily... I'd never really thought of this as victim blaming. Which is insane because when you look at it, yeah, it is totally someone not ac- I wouldn't maybe not victim blaming but certainly not ac- not accepting responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, for their yeah. actions, right? Yeah. Um, and I I still think that it's a it's a good representation of that. Mm-hmm. I think you can still express someone who doesn't accept responsibility and have it be a good piece of art. But I'm going to reevaluate this, Corey. I'm going to sit and think about this a little bit and sit with this song and see what I come out with. Because maybe for the first time in this podcast, you've made me really reevaluate something that I, like a preconception I had about a song, which I wasn't expecting. Because especially with this one, it's just, it's a bit of, it's not fluff, it's not filler, but it's not a song, it's not a standout on the album, mm-hmm. but it's also a song that I've always loved. Because of the mood of it and the the sonics of it and the melody and everything else, I've always liked. I've never really considered the message of it. So, thank you for that. That's that's amazing. Well, and I'm hoping when when
0: you look at it through that lens, maybe you'll find something redeeming in there that you can tell me about that I can look out for. Because uh, just my cursory travel through the song a couple of times today to do this show, because I haven't heard this song in years. Yeah, um, that that's kind of what I came up with. Maybe I'm missing something. Uh, maybe in a melody. Maybe in a lyric that, you know, kind of fills the, the gap that I'm looking for uh, in yeah. this subject matter.
1: I, I My sense is that I, I don't know if, there's ever, if, there, if there would be anything that would get you over the line on that. Because I think your proximity to the, the trauma of it, I, I don't know if you're going to get past that, which is, fuck, man, I mean, that's fine, right? I mean, we've all got those songs, we've all got that subject matter, like Give Island Back to the Irish by McCartney, mm. as a sentiment, great. But you know what? I had fucking friends who died at the hands of the IRA. So fuck that. You know, I mean, yeah, we've yeah. all got those things that we just—it's a hurdle too far. So you know, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Do you mind if I leave this song in this episode,
0: maybe on a on a humorous note? I found a a great quote uh, about this song. I I'm not sure uh, who said this quote, but it's it's perfect. Uh, they say, "Not a big surprise that a song about running someone over and putting them in a lifelong coma." came from the same lyricist who penned the one about a guy getting trampled to death in a snowman suit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag fuck Mike Rutherford. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! I God. thought that was great.
0: All right. And uh, we're, we're going to finish off on a real high note here because we're going to get to play. And then there were three. This is one of my favorite games that you came up with, my friend, where we're going to, uh, We're going to get you to rank uh, three different artists, including our beloved Genesis, uh, by their Spotify uh, listens per month. So your three bands today, my friend, are Genesis, Whitesnake, and Deep Purple. Oh, my God.
1: Oh, wow. You son of a bitch.
0: I thought this was a good one, and they're all, like,
1: pretty close. Yeah, they really will
2: be. Okay. I think that, okay, well... I think Genesis should be number
1: one, but maybe they aren't. Okay, so White Whitesnake, um, Here I Go Again, is going to be, that's going to be the song that gets them up there. Deep Purple are one of the founding fathers of heavy metal mm-hmm. and should be way more recognized than they are. And Smoke on the Water is going to bump them up. Okay, I'll go... <sighs> Oh fuck! I, I I hate doing this, but I'm gonna go. White Snake, Genesis, Deep Purple, one, two, three. All right. Well, much like me last week, you
0: managed to get every single one wrong. Hey! hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> number one, Genesis. Okay. Well, good. O- good. Good. Yep. Okay. Over seven million. Number two, Deep Purple, at six point four. And number three is White Snake, just over
2: five. Wow.
1: Yeah. Holy f- I mean, you know what, people? You need to listen to more Deep Purple. Seriously? And more Whitesnake, too, for that matter. <laughs> oh, but, I mean, okay, look. Gitten's got love- claws, come on. I, I like Whitesnake, but there's- I mean, Whitesnake and Deep Purple? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's not really much comparison there, but- Jesus Christ. Did we just low? need David Coverdale to sing with uh, Genesis, and then we'd uh, he'd, uh, he'd be in all three <laughs> bands, so- yeah, and, then, and meanwhile, fucking Drake's at about, what, 98, three trillion oh, fucking billions, <laughs> millions? Yeah. Like, the world fucking sucks, dude. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? That's probably enough for tonight. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. We'll uh, be back next week with you to talk about Side C. For the first time in, uh, in the show uh, of uh, We Can't Ask. But join us again next week when we do that. And come check us out on social media. Uh, at Ultimate Castle O'Cash on Facebook, you Castle O'Cash on Twitter. And, uh, you know, me at, at Kebra Canada and Corey at about what, set? 50 million places or
0: 52 million? Uh, no. Uh, but my, my followers on Spotify are about three. Uh so thank god we didn't play and then there were three uh, with podcasters cuz I don't have that many but uh you can catch me here of course you can catch me on End the podcast will Rock talking all things Van Halen you can talk me on catch me on Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited uh with Scott Haskin talking Aerosmith and on occasion I do a movie uh, theme music show with John Mariano talking music and movies called
1: Backtracks Theme Music Let's quickly just shout out the show that you just did um which will be you know a bit in the past once we're recording this but you just had a very very cool guest on your Van Halen podcast. Tell our listeners a little bit about who that was and why they should listen to that episode. Yes, we had uh, author and... uh, uh, We're going to
0: do that again. Uh, Yes, we had author Steve Rosen uh, on the show. He wrote the book Tone Chaser, uh, which uh, chronicles his 26-year friendship with Eddie Van Halen. Uh, They kind of became friends uh, around the uh, Van Halen 2 era and all the way through. Uh, you know, into the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, 2000 when Eddie kind of had his uh, uh, tongue cancer issue and he had separated from Valerie. I think they kind of uh, uh, kind of split up uh, around that part. And uh, originally, uh, Steve was going to write the official uh, biography on Eddie Van Halen. He had Eddie sign a contract and everything that was going to happen. And then every time we try and get Eddie to sit down and do the sit down interview for the biography, like, oh, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. Finally, Steve kind of gave up on it. But he had all these tapes. Of other interviews he did and all these tapes of phone calls he had with eddie where he was talking off the record about mike anthony or david lee roth or whatever was was bugging him that day or uh, influences influences he had uh, it's a real and and that's what makes up the meat of the book is is these tapes he calls them the twilight tapes because he yeah. was listening to him late at night after eddie had passed it was like having his friend back uh, but it's really fly on the wall stuff i i mentioned to him afterwards it's like you you're allowing the the reader to eavesdrop on these conversations with you and Eddie Van Halen. And sometimes you feel kind of bad about it because Eddie would go like, oh, don't print this or make sure this isn't in the article. Don't record this part. And he would just go off on something. And you almost feel kind of bad reading those parts. But Steve uh, is a good, very good writer. It it makes it feel like it's okay. So we had a very extended uh, conversation with him uh, on the, uh, and the podcast will rock. You can catch it on our uh,
1: YouTube or uh, wherever you get your podcast from. Go do that. Go check out, and the podcast will rock. Check out Backtrack's Aerosmith. Check out Backtrack's Theme Music. Check out Tom Petty Project and Seaside Pod Review. And you know what? Go check out um, Sean Geek and Fast Freight Podcast because you should do that. You need more Sean Geek in your life. And until we see you again, I mean, dude, we're two episodes away I know. from uh, the sexiest man in podcast history. Which I don't, know how, we're gonna, I don't know how we're going to manage. I, I just The overload of uh, sexuality is going to be almost too much to bear. With you and Scott on the same call, uh, the sexiness is just going to explode. <laughs> what, what, what was the
0: uh, Antonio Banderas show uh, on Saturday Night Live when they had like Chris Kattan as, as uh, Antonio, oh, yeah. Antonio Banderas? <laughs> no, no, it's too sexy. No, no. No, do
1: not. It's too sexy. That's what it's going to be like. You know what? Hold on to your hats, folks. It's going to be... You're going to be moist, is what we're saying. So, you know, until, until then, just... Gorge yourself. Just get ready. Get ready for the the ultimate... Oh, my well, I don't even want to say, Corey. I, I can't even get past words and things. Ah, fuck it. Bye-bye.